0: This is Socrates and you are listening to the Yellow Wall podcast.
1: Hello all and welcome to episode 179 of The Yellow Wall Pod. I'm your host Stefan Bozko as always. And I'm joined by two guys as almost always on this panel. With me once again, Mr. Lars Paulmann. Hello Lars. Hi Stefan. Is everything fine during the international break with you?
0: Apart from the fact that it is, that it is the international break, I'm doing okay, yeah.
1: Yeah, it's just a little breather before there are nine games in April, and yeah, but, also here. But
0: they, they they could just do the nine games in six weeks and uh, abolish international
1: breaks. Fair enough. And also here, Mister Constantine Agner. Hello, Konstantin. How are you doing? Hi. <laughs> Good. Yeah. How about you're, you? You doing well? Yeah. I'm I'm doing uh quite. Well, myself. Thank you. We decided to make this a Q and A episode as we so often do during international breaks. We, of course, haven't talked on this show yet about the game against Ingolstadt, uh, which we will do briefly because it wasn't the best game ever. And, uh, you know, there's just not too much to talk about. Um, and then we will get to the questions, uh, we have, uh, as on Twitter, and thanks for the great response. But before we get to that and the Ingolstadt game, of course, I have to thank three patrons who uh, supported us on Patreon. And, uh, yeah, we are really thankful for that. And, uh, of course, the shout-out goes out to Tony Han, Andrew Thiepel, and George Clark. Thank you so much, and uh, I hope we will uh, keep the content flowing, and to do that, last you can now talk about Ingolstadt for well, roughly 30 seconds. <laughs> I, I think
0: 30 seconds are too much for that game. Easily the worst home performance, I would say, under Thomas Tuchel. Maybe uh, dueling with the 2-2 draw against Darmstadt uh, in his first season here. Just once they got uh, ahead through that, very nice team move of Kagawa, Schmelzer, Uameyang. They completely shut the game down uh, attacking-wise. Didn't really have a single clear-cut goal-scoring opportunity for the for the rest of the game. And we're really lucky that Ingolstadt have zero individual class up front. Otherwise, they would have probably lost the game by two or three goals.
1: Yeah, definitely. Alone, the amount of chances Matthew Lecky spurned uh, was... Uh, <laughs> Was quite amazing. So uh, you're
0: saying he was lacking a finish?
1: Yeah. Oh, jeez. I was, I almost said Dortmund got off lucky, but you know, I guess you had the better pun there. I, I'm um, not here. I'm not Constantine, here. Constantine, hmm? any individual performances you want, you want to highlight from this game?
2: Yeah. Ginter, as always, was the shits. Um, yeah, that's about it. I think. I mean, Socrates was quite good. He 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 had to be good. I mean, considering that like he played next to Ginter.
1: Yeah. So he has
2: to play for two at least.
1: <laughs> That's the only way you can put it actually. Uh, actually because, actually uh,
2: Socrates like an like an entire back three. He alone. Like the entire back three. It's quite tremendous.
1: Yeah. Alright, can I talk now or is Socrates an entire back four in like the next two seconds? I mean you you can continue talking um
2: Unless you are doing like another lucky joke, then I don't really know
1: if you're that. Of course not. Okay. <laughs> we are all out of lucky jokes, I'm afraid. So, um, yeah. Also, we have to highlight, uh, Roman Birki and, uh, because I always joke around saying that uh, pierre emerick Aubameyang only scores tap-ins. We, of course, or well, I, of course, have to say that, uh, the goal he scored, of course, wasn't a tap-in. Uh, I think he, he was, he was mid-run, just, uh, Trailing his leg a little bit with the left leg with which he scored it was uh, a pretty nifty finish. And I actually, uh, thought that that was, you know, a nice technical piece of skill there. So, uh, yeah, props to Aubameyang because that goal more or less saved Dortmund's bacon. And I don't remember any other chance for Dortmund really in, in this game. Meanwhile, Bürki of course, had to, had to save a couple of one on ones and had a great reflex on a, on a corner. And, and yeah, Ingolstadt had 14 shots, Dortmund 10, and that's pretty much that. But yeah, after, after playing against Lotto on Tuesday, I think that's what you can expect. Um, last, shall we move on then to the questions or do you have anything on your mind you still have to say or talk about this game?
0: I just want to make a quick mention of how, uh, Nice, the the move for the decisive goal was with Kagawa continuing on his good run of form, at least in that situation. Uh, Nifty move from him, then releasing Schmelzer. Pretty good ball across to Aubameyang. Nice finish, as you said. So in a game that was lacking uh, any sort of adventure from Dortmund going forward, that was at least one good move and it turned out to be good enough for three points.
1: Yeah, certainly. And since we have a big American audience, uh, Konstantin, we might also have to mention that uh, Christian Pulisic, who, who uh, played more centrally in this game, didn't do all too well. Do you agree?
2: I agree, yeah. But wasn't the match to shine for him or for some other players right there. Because, uh yeah, the performance overall wasn't just that good. And uh he... Yeah, I mean, just he needs... Uh, teammates who get him involved and not the other way around. Um, and he was up front, or not up front, but in like number ten ish uh position. And uh, I don't know. Um, it wasn't his match.
1: Yeah, he channeled his inner Usman Dembele, who was suspended. Had ten take ons in this game. Uh, yeah, I think I think he had like one successful or two. So, you know, not the best game, but you know. We all know he has so much skill that uh, we can look past uh, one bad game and and move on to the questions now. And uh, last, I have to thank you for uh, filtering all the questions and uh, listing them, because what what you're actually doing
0: now, Stefan, is uh, pointing people's blame at me if we don't answer their question. But I see right, I see right through you, Butsko.
1: I don't, I don't care. I, I think you can sustain that.
0: Now I have to, unless you're cutting this bit out, which you never do.
1: Yeah, well, uh, you, you'll be fine, Lars. I'm, I'm sure. Anyway, uh, you named one category Tochel talk and, uh, let's start there. It's Jun who's asking BS rumor about Tuchel leaving at, etc. Do you guys think he's our long-term coach or do you see him leaving? Konstantin.
2: I see him leaving, uh, either, uh, next summer, this summer, or, um, the summer of 2018. So, uh, in no, no case, he will be a long-term solution. Even if he stays like for next year, he's still like a free, a free year coach. Um, though that's not like a long-term solution. Um, yeah, I don't think he, he will be, uh, we shouldn't expect him to be a long-term solution. I think the whole, club thing and staying at Dortmund for what, what, uh, 7 years I think um shouldn't cloud our our expectations that um these coaches will just go to Dortmund, love the city um and then just stay there forever that's that's not how the business right now in 2017 works
1: all right last uh daniel Doward has a similar question but he asks I think the Tuchel to Arsenal story is nonsense but if it did happen Who do you think should replace him at Dortmund? Or, you know, if Tuchel leaves, who should replace him in general? And Dietrich Dimbowski says or asks, is Paulo Sosa the real deal for Borussia Dortmund?
0: First of all, I have to say that I'm still fairly convinced Tuchel is actually going to go this summer. Uh, I think I said uh, my prediction or my my view of things is that the chance that he comes back for next season uh, is below 50% and I'm Saying with that uh, prediction, uh, even though many have assumed now that they have been on a good run, uh, played well in the Champions League, got into the quarterfinals, are actually looking like a decent bet to actually make second in the Bundesliga this season with Leipzig struggling that uh, all the problems between the club and Tuchel were suddenly gone with the wind. But uh, as I said, I still expect him to go. As for a replacement, that's really tough to say. I think whenever he goes, if it's this summer or next season, uh, Tuchel will be a tremendous loss because he's quite clearly the best coach, uh, this club can attract, afford, uh, and have for the, the kind of squad they have right now, which is really with this season and then the, the transfers coming in next season, which we will talk about a bit later, uh, starting to be tailor-made for Tuchel and his uh, style of football. So whoever comes in uh, for Tuchel, whenever it is, uh, needs to be someone with a similar mind in terms of uh, the style of football he wants to play. So you, you, you can't uh, come in with a pressing fetishist now uh, after streamlining the team to awards a more possession based uh, team that I don't think it's going to work. So Let's say, uh, Roger Schmidt, who was that go by Leverkusen and is of the Red Bull school of thought that, uh, every game needs to be, a, a hunt for the ball. Uh, I don't think he would work out for Dortmund. So I don't really have a name. Um, my go-to name whenever a coaching position is open is uh, Michael Lautrup because he was, or his, his Swansea side in the Premier League was fantastic to watch. And I think he could do a good job for Dortmund, but, um, I don't really think he's going to be on their radar. Um, if they lose Tuchel this summer, I'm sure they're going to go for a coach who's more, uh, easy to control perhaps for the, uh, for the club's decision makers and someone, uh, the fans can feel more warm and fuzzy about. So. I think we've talked about this before that someone like Peter Stöger of Cologne, while he's not the most inspiring coach in terms of the style of football his team plays in the Bundesliga, he's the, the kind of person I think the club would be going for. Um, and finally for the Dietrich Dimbowski Dembe- question about Paulo Sosa, uh, while I am, um, Serie A aficionado I've not seen too much of Fiorentina uh, in his two seasons or one and a half seasons uh, at the club but the fact that he's going to be available in the summer regardless uh, of uh, whether Dortmund need him or not uh, tells you some things about him so I don't really see how uh, apart from his own club past at Dortmund obviously because he was a part of the 1997 Champions League winners team I don't really see uh, anything that would make me think he's going to be a top candidate.
1: Well, Konstantin, do you have a top candidate to replace Tokel if he leaves this summer or next?
2: Absolutely not. Uh, I think coaches who could do well uh, at Dortmund aren't available, so uh doesn't make sense to talk about them. Uh, it doesn't make sense to talk about Nagelsmann, for instance. Um, Paulo Sosa maybe I think he's an interesting coach and I think he could do well at Dortmund. I, I don't know about his situation so uh, if he's available as Los Red, uh mentioned then yeah maybe I, I also think that whats uh especially Watzke, uh will decide to sign someone like a certain type of play uh, of, of coach. I was someone like, like Stöger, who's like this hardworking guy. Or um someone with, with a Dortmund past or a Dortmund history, I, I think that could happen as well. I think he, Watske uh, and, and Zorc. I mean, Zorc, the former teammate of, of uh, Paulo Sosa, uh, they they like this kind of thing, like uh, the, the lost or not the lost, uh, lost son, but um, someone who has a has a Dortmund past, who is sweating black and yellow, and all these narratives and whatever. Um, so babies. So, Paul Lambert, basically. Or Paul Lambert, yeah. Uh, or, or, or Sebastian Kale one day, no? Um, so. Yeah, yeah of course. Yeah. I, 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 think something like that, that they, they like that. Uh, they had Klopp because Klopp was a great coach at Mines, but also because he was a great personality. I mean, they decided to sign him because, uh, not mostly because of his personality, but at least partly because of his personality. I think, um, when they look right now at, at Stöger, they see someone who, um, is, is a decent coach from like a tactical and, and just, just, uh, coaching point of view or standpoint. Uh, but they also see someone who can embodies, uh, a certain image. Um, and yeah, I think they, they love to produce a, a specific image, uh, about Dortmund, about the club. Uh so uh maybe maybe Stoger I mean a, f- a few weeks ago I wouldn't even have uh scratched uh Kovac off the list. Uh because Kovac is also a uh, like specific uh very specific uh personality. Uh but of course right now he's struggling, so I don't think he's an option. Um but yeah, uh Stoger or Sosa maybe uh or maybe someone else, but th- th- yeah, that the options are really limited right now. Uh, because Dortmund can't just sign. Of course they could. I mean, when you think about it, they could sign Wolf. Hannes Wolf, uh, the former, um, uh, reserve team coach. No, no, what was it? An- under 19, right. The uh, former under 19 coach. What about, what, what about Wegner? Former reserve team coach. You never know. You never know what, what these guys are going to do.
1: Well, I, for one, actually think that Tuchel will extend his contract until 2019, uh, this summer. And I, I feel like I'm, I'm alone, but, uh, with this opinion. But I think we also once all agreed upon the uh, fact that Tuchel will leave for Bayern at some point. I don't know. He might also just go to the Premier League. I don't see him going to Arsenal right now, but you know, it's all a lot of smoke and mirrors right now. Or maybe so, Barcelona. Um, yeah, Maybe. You know, <laughs> Tuchel, Tuchel certainly has a passion for Barcelona. So, we will see. And Barcelona also brings us to the, uh, Champions League category, which last cut out. Um, and Marco Schneider. <laughs> <laughs> Fuck. <laughs> <laughs> Please let that in. Yeah. Marco Schneider, someone here, uh, sabotaged my Google Doc. <laughs> he asks. What do you make of the draw against Monaco and our recent form? We currently sit third in the league. Does this raise ec- expectations for a trophy? Last, since you laughed the loudest. Yeah, the,
0: I, I, I uh, turned on my mic so you could hear me laugh about your gaff. Um, I think Monaco were probably the, one of the easier draws, uh, obviously, quote unquote, uh, quarterfinals, apart from maybe Leicester, uh, they aren't really easy draws and they eliminated uh, Man City, which uh, even though Man City isn't the greatest of teams in this season uh, is still uh, quite the accomplishment, but I think Dortmund enter this quarterfinal tie as slight favorites for me, so it's like 60-40 Dortmund for me if uh, key personnel is available and that's uh, like Marco Reus Socrates, uh, they, they, I mean, they really need to be close to their best in, in, in terms of the available personnel. And I'm really just looking forward to see the games because I think both teams are very fun to watch going forward and quite suspect at the back. Um, seeing all these talents from Monaco, whom, whom I've heard more of than I've seen them because I've only seen them now in the round of 16 matches against City and then, you know, uh, in the simulcast during the group stage every now and then. Um, that's going to be interesting to, to see all these, these really hyped up talents to see what they are actually all about. Uh, I guess someone like Kylian Mbappé or Bernardo Silva, these are players that we are, by all accounts, going to be talking about for the next decade or so. So. Seeing them against Dortmund uh, will be will be very interesting.
1: Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Mr. Eigner, your your take on uh, Dortmund's draw against Monaco.
2: Yeah, I agree that it was uh, one of the easier uh, opponents you could have drawn, but on the other hand I think it's a fifty fifty. It's a coin toss here. Um Yes, Monaco. Maybe overall they are not as good as Dortmund defensively. Just you know, personal wise. Um, but on the other hand, when I look at their midfield, ah, uh, that's just tremendous. I mean, Fabiano, Bakayoko, Lemar, Silva, Joel Moutinho, the old man still out there doing his thing at least as a, uh as a bench player. So, yeah, that's, that's danger. That's danger there. I, 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 I could see, uh, Monaco, uh, doing some, some damage, um, with a talented squad and just players who could, uh, yeah, turn up a switch and then you never know what happens. Um, so, and also Dortmund. I mean, just look at the Ingolstadt match. Uh, <laughs> you know, I mean, of course it was just an, like an ordinary Bundesliga match, but only like it's still a race for, uh, second place. So, Uh, it's not like there's nothing on the line right now. Um, and they have to, Dortmund, uh, they have to be at 100% against Monaco. Otherwise, uh, we will have like a surprise. I think a lot of fans, uh, underestimate Monaco and they think that Dortmund just will not run through them, but will beat them decisively. Um, I could see these uh, two matches being very close.
1: Yeah, I think, I think. It will be very close, definitely. Uh, Monaco are just too confident right now to not make it close and to uh, place poorly as Benfica. Whole another ball game there. Um, last, Phipps asks, how do you think Tuchel is going to prioritize the League Cup and Champions League in April with an absurd number of matches, as we said before, nine in fact. Uh, what should he do? And uh, just saw on Twitter that Timo Werner is out for at least two weeks. That should be in Leipzig, so priority on hunt for second place, Champions League, or uh, do you finally want to see Dortmund win the cup?
0: I I, I think the the cup can always be uh, left out of this equation because it's only one game, and even after uh, a run of uh, or this busy kind of schedule, you can always get up for one game, especially with it being against Bayern. So I. I think the, the cup, uh, doesn't have to take precedence over anything. I think they are going to be just fine there. Um, I think when we talked about Benfica, we both, uh, prioritized the Bundesliga, but since then with, uh, teams like Frankfurt, uh, Hertha and a few others not really picking up too many points, I think they, that Dortmund have enough of a cushion.
1: Yeah. That was before Leverkusen, right? When we talked about that.
0: Possibly. After Freiburg, I remember that one. Um, yeah. So,
1: uh, I
0: mean, they they have a bit of a cushion uh, towards fourth and especially fifth place, obviously. Uh, and they host Hoffenheim late in the season, which could decide third place if it comes to that. So I'm pretty sure they are going to put a lot of effort into the Champions League. But then again, as you said, um, Leipzig have uh, i think they've lost now more games than they've won in the second half of the season they are not uh, really up uh, at the level they've shown uh, over the first half of the season so i think second place is within reach and i think uh, the the club and everybody in the squad also would really like to win second place from leipzig too so i think that the good thing about uh, the the post international break phase for Dortmund is that a few players should be coming back. Um, we've, you also obviously talking about Marco Reus here, but also Sven Bender, Nuri Schaien should be available. Now, of course, with all these, those three guys, you never know for how long they are going to be available, but they should give you some minutes at the very least. So the squad should be a bit, uh, deeper, uh, for the, for this, uh, busy part of the, the season. So, I think they should be able to uh, be at their best or close to their best in all of those games. I don't really see how they needed to uh, prioritize one thing over the other to an extreme level, at least.
1: Well, I think so far this season we have seen Dortmund drop off, regardlessly uh, whether you know if the schedule gets busy and and usually that is in the Bundesliga. I mean, the Ingolstadt match is just a, another example of many. Especially away from home after the Champions League. So, uh, I would, I would, uh, just guess that Dortmund will once again put their focus on the Champions League because it's more prestigious, fancier, whatever you want, uh, apparently for, for the young players and also for the, for the elder ones. It's, it seems like they just can, can get their motivations a little bit up, uh, up a little bit more for the Champions League. But, uh, since we have our, Raba Leipzig correspondent here, Konstantin. Um, what's actually happening with Leipzig right now? And why are they dropping off so much? Uh,
2: because they don't know what they are doing right now. No, uh, it's just a mix of f- several factors, uh, they're playing into right now, into this crisis, crisis, like quote unquote. Um, it's still, I mean, they are still a young team, uh, in Bundesliga as their first season. Um, some injuries here and there. And also, uh, when you watch the last match against Bremen, which they lost decisively, uh, by three goals, uh, Hasenhüttel for the first time decided to do something completely different, um, differently, uh, in terms of tactics, just, you know, uh, back three, which is un, which was unheard of, uh, prior to that match. That Leipzig would would play a back free, uh, f- right right from the start. Um, yeah, and before that they they tried a four three three. Uh, Paulsen was out for a while. He's back in training. Meanwhile, uh, Werner's injured. So, uh, yeah, that's I get. I guess that's even worse. Uh, you say Werner R- 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 was their one key player up front who could who could um, yeah, just do damage against everyone uh, because of his his speed. Um, so it's, it's a little bit, it's a mix of, of a lot of things. Uh, they are not at 100% fitness wise. Um, then a few injured players and, well, just, uh, is, is, is starting to, to maybe, uh, question his own, uh, tactical approach. So yeah. And then you got the, and also when you look back, uh, a few matches, uh, in the Hinrunde, they were, they were lucky. Uh, winning these matches, and right now they are rather unlucky in some matches, maybe. Well, not as lucky as as in the Hinrunde.
1: Alright, Th- thanks for that. And I guess that concludes our Champions League talk with a little bit of Leipzig in between, but they'll play the Champions League next year for sure. Although, Konstantin, can you see Hoffenheim actually catching Leipzig?
2: Yes, I could see them uh, catching Leipzig, and it's only a gap of four points. So, who knows? It's it's not really uh, something Hoffenheim couldn't close. On the other hand, like Hoffenheim is not that stable uh, either. It's just Hoffenheim, and they are uh, they are a little bit uh, better than Leipzig right now. But it's not like they uh, won over opponents. Um, they stick to their plan. Um, just. Building up through the middle and closing down the rings uh, when defending—it's just what what Nagelsmann wants them to do. Um So they are they are at a certain level. They are performing at a certain level right now, but it's not like they could. I, I don't think they will start at like a f- five-game winning streak or something. So if Leipzig uh, gets back on track a little bit and, and starts uh, winning matches again, then
1: I think Hoffenheim doesn't catch them. All right. Thanks for that. Um, now the next category on my screen here says transfer tag. Lars, you always get the first question and it's Matt Hartgrove and he asks any thoughts on a summer transfer window strategy.
0: I don't really expect too much action from Dortmund. Um, I think, uh, Topak obviously is already done and dusted, Um, we all expect, I think, at least uh, Mahmoud Dahou to come in. And then I think they don't really need to do much else. I think they should uh, focus more on getting the squad they have right now uh, to the next level. They have so many young players who will really benefit from having the first season under their belts, uh, spending another training camp with the team in Tuchel or whoever is at the helm at at that point in time. So I think from after you've signed the the uh, Toprak and the hood, uh, you can really focus on maybe one or two spots. Um, you know, they they could use a second goalkeeper, uh, even if Weidenfeller gets another contract extension, which I hope isn't the case. They could look uh, to upgrade the right wing back position uh, if that's still in the plans of next season's manager, whoever it is, and then. Um, focus more on thinning out the squad a bit, letting go of some dead weights or loaning out some players who are struggling to find game time for the first team and then obviously you have to always take into the account the possibility of a big name getting uh, signed away for big money uh, be it Aubameyang or whoever else but I don't really see that happening I think most people right now expect Aubameyang to stay because there's not much of a market for him, it seems. Uh, I mean, obviously, uh, many clubs would be in for him, but he wouldn't sign for all but maybe two or three clubs in the world, and I don't really see a club like Real Madrid uh, going for Aubameyang in the summer. So unless a big name leaves and you have to fill that void, I think uh, once Tahut, uh is also... Uh, captured, I think they are going to be more quiet than last year.
1: Yeah, I, I, I think so. I think so too. It's not going to be a big overhaul again. So, uh, should be, should be a quiet summer, you know, relatively. Um, Steve Berkowitz asks, which players are most likely to leave the site on loan or by sale this summer? Constantine, where will Matthias Ginter go?
2: Uh, Schlattbach, maybe? I I don't know. Is he leaving? Uh, I'm not sure. I don't know, I don't uh,
1: know, but uh, Sven Bender might be fit for once. Wilma Toprak is coming in.
2: Oh, yeah. So. Doesn't look good for good old Matze Ginter, right? Uh, Maybe he's leaving. I, I don't really know. I mean, he's like, he's not good right now, not performing well. On your end, like, he gets, uh, he gets playing time. It's just, he's in the starting 11. So, uh, yeah, a little bit of a weird one. I'm just going through the list. Um, of course, uh, Joho Park. I mean, I guess he's, uh, unless he's like buried somewhere, I think he will leave. Um, then uh, Nuri Shahin, obviously, uh, either to another like mid-tier Bundesliga club or maybe to, uh, China or the United States or something. MLS. Um, so Kagawa, it's a coin toss, in my opinion. He could leave, but it's not like certain, um, that he'll leave. Um, yeah. Then maybe Emre Moore on loan deal and, and maybe Roman Weidenfeller, not, not leaving, but retiring. Um, yeah. And maybe Sebastian Rota.
1: Yeah. Yeah. We, we, I mean, we will see about all was... I mean, he has hardly, he has hardly played. I could actually see uh, Felix Pappel go out on loan because right now he's probably not getting the playing time he wants to have. And uh, right, so. But on the
2: other hand, on the other hand, like they need him. Uh, I think as an additional wing back. Uh, of course, there's Eric Dorm. There's Piszczek. Piszczek is really getting older. Um, so. I I don't know if they want if they want him to leave or if they just say, Yeah, stay here. You're you're eighteen. Just, you know, be patient and uh you'll get your chance to play. So but yeah, there are uh like it's also Rhoda and Kagawa, I don't really know if they if they will leave, but I think it's at least uh in consideration that they or they will consider maybe a move. Uh Sebastian Rhoda, I know mean, was just disappointing for him. Um, how this whole thing worked out li- uh, right now, it, uh, especially recently. Um, and Kagawa, yeah, it's up, up and down right now. It's, it's, it's more upright right now because he, he gets his playing time. But a few months ago, he was like, not even, I mean, was he on the bench? I
1: guess, but it was just Kagawa was not really a, a factor here. Yeah. Kagawa's contract obviously running out in 2018, which is why this is a topic right now. Last year, two cents on that.
0: Yeah, I think you covered it all pretty well. Uh, one more name to, or two more names actually to keep in mind are, uh, Jakob Unlarsen and Janis Bornic, uh, who both have signed, uh, pro contracts and, uh, are going to be too old for the under 19s next season. So they are the, the kind of talents that you, Uh, that that are good enough to potentially play in the Bundesliga down the road, but not good enough to make your squad any better at the moment. And then uh, you also don't want them to play in the fourth division because they are only going to get their their socks kicked off. So maybe you send them out on loan or, or, you know, if Passler goes out on loan to a Bundesliga club because he's more ready, then maybe Larsen takes on his role as a, you know, number 18, 19 in the squad. Uh, be on the bench for a few games in the in this season as a wingback alternative, but uh, in terms of the sales, I think the names to look at uh, are Ginter, Shahin, possibly Kagawa and Rode. You know a club uh, pastler could
2: go to? Stuttgart.
0: Yeah, I mean, that's the most obvious yeah. one. Uh, they lost for reasons... Uh, too difficult to describe on a podcast. Uh, Kevin Großkreuz, uh, Hannes Wolf, the, the mentor of Felix Paslak made him his captain and then they, they can use it right back. He needs playing time. They need a player. Uh, they know him very well. I mean, that's a, as far, as, as much of a slam dunk as, as it can be in terms of a loan deal for an 18 year old. Almost too good to be true, right? Uh, yeah. Yeah. And, and, and
2: Großkreuz, yeah, right. Uh, for certain reasons that it was like one of the weirdest. Things, uh, happening in German football in the last line. Currently
1: trending with the second team of Borussia Dortmund. Yeah, with the
0: second team of Dortmund. Uh, he, no. I mean, I, if I'm not completely mistaken, he was only offered that uh, by oh, was fairly he? Sh- I
1: actually haven't checked. Oh, yeah. no, he <laughs> asked.
2: He asked. He requested.
0: No, no, I think that. Uh, I I think Dortmund offered it, but I think there would be much much more media coverage uh, if he actually had taken then up the offer right. already. So I think that's more of a thing for the summer. Also, if Großkreuz wants to get another crack at professional football, which he said in his press conference uh, after his dismissal in Stuttgart that he isn't really interested in right now. Yeah, who yeah, who knows? And, and
2: really is is a, is a good move to go back to Dortmund? Yeah. Even if it's just for training, I don't really know. I mean, maybe he could just stay out of the spotlight and train somewhere else. Maybe
1: even like outside of Germany. Maybe he wants to retire for good, or yeah.
2: But he's like, how old is is Crossroads? Twenty seven or something.
1: Some age around that.
2: Age. I think uh, Marco Reus is twenty seven. I think they are the same age. It's like yeah, it's like really he was a few born years in too early.
1: That's what I know. Yeah. So might be 28 too. Anywho, mm. last at BVB Hub asks if you could choose any realistic player to come to Dortmund this summer. Who would it be and why? In brackets, be realistic.
0: Yeah, so I'm with Topak already having come in. Uh, that was one I would have mentioned if, uh, for whatever reason, the the deal wouldn't have been announced by now. And I'm also not going to cop out uh, saying Dahoot because I, uh, as I said before, I thoroughly expect him to come in. So. I'm focusing, uh, as I hinted upon, uh, in my, in, in a previous answer on the right wing back position because I think, uh, that Piszczek can't really play that position anymore because of, uh, his getting up there in age and his athletic deficiencies that are coming up more and more these days. Uh, I think Eric Dorm, while doing somewhat decently in recent weeks and months, isn't the, the perfect option there. So, uh, I don't know if how realistic he really is at this point after what happened uh, what two weeks ago, but Mitchell Weiser of Hertha uh, really would make sense to me in that uh, right wing back position. He could also play regular right back in the back four. If he can't play for Dortmund for uh, fairly obvious reasons, then someone like Pavel Kaderabek of Hoffenheim, doing pretty decently this season, they also play with a back three. Uh, quite often and I think he's playing a a strong season and I think a player of Hoffenheim should be available to Dortmund even if they make uh, the Champions League next season they are not going to be in a a position financially where they can say no to uh, an offer for for a player like that I think and then uh, a player we've just seen in the Champions League might also be slightly unrealistic uh, because of the other clubs involved but someone like Nelson Semedo of Benfica would really fit where well what what I think Dortmund needed that position so those those three are my let's say semi realistic yeah I only had
1: one pick and uh it's more or less for the same position because i guess uh great minds think alike, but uh my pick actually uh is um in amsterdam uh Joel feldman of course uh a right back who uh I could see doing very well in a uh, back three formation playing for Piszczek uh, because Feldmann's strength I would say is that uh, his, his build-up play is, is pretty good and uh, right now you can see that uh, almost every team in the league starts pressing Dortmund on the right side with uh, either Piszczek or Durm playing there and uh, when Piszczek gets pressure uh, Dortmund's build-up stuff is big time and the good thing, of course, when Dortmund manage to to uh you know mount the pressure and uh, pass the first wave, they usually can skip to the left side where then it's a lot of space. Uh, that works really well, but I think it would work even better with a player like Feldmann. But uh, last, I would also agree that Mitchell Weiser, for example, would be a great fit for that position. Although Piszczek right now, of course, doesn't have to run as much up and down right now, so it could be maybe Feldmann in a Piszczek position and. Mitchell Weiser in, in the dumb position as a, uh, wing back. That's something I could imagine. Um, yeah. Feldman's contract is also running out in 2018, so I'm pretty sure he would be available in the summer. Um, Konstantin, any player you would realistically sign in the summer?
2: Yeah, wait. After you stole, um, the Feldman piece, I've, uh, yeah. I've told, uh, for quite a while now. No. Just, I don't know. Of course, Feldman. Yeah, that's, that's, that's right. Um, and also I am, I'm not sure. Um, because I, I don't really know what's realistic right now. That's a problem. Um, sure. Going for some other uh, 20 year old that would work out quite well. Uh, but I'm, I'm still trying to figure out who could be a, an, an addition, but who's a player who's already established, um, in a top league. You know, but who could also join Dortmund? Um, and they're a little bit of a problem. Um, I could, I could see, um, Dortmund signing a Spanish midfielder or at least a midfielder from the La Liga. Um, I'm not sure right now. I'm not sure who it could be, but I think they, they could be able to sign someone. Um, just you know, to to beef up a little bit, like uh, the midfield department there, um, because you need someone new, I guess. Uh, as we as we already uh, discussed, uh, Shine is leaving. Uh, Rota is not really an option. So even if you sign Tahoud, um, as the creative mind in, in your midfield, uh, I think another player like and I'm really struggling right now. I, I maybe. Camacho, for instance, you know, someone like, like Camacho from Malaga. It's like that level. Um, established, but not like top tier midfielder who would cost, uh, 150 million. That's the, that's the thing that, uh, that's the business in 2017, right? <laughs> Everyone is so expensive. Um, so maybe someone just, just, you know, have another guy, uh, that Weigel doesn't have to play so many matches that Castro, doesn't have to play so many matches that's Dahoud, uh, who's coming in that he has another backup or so. Um so yeah, I'm, I'm a little bit struggling to come up with a name, but as I said, maybe some, like on the level of Camacho.
1: Interesting. Don Mikel Merino. I was waiting for that, but uh Constantine said established.
2: Uh, no no Marino you know, uh will, will be the leading player in the back three, of course, as we all know.
1: I don't know, but, uh, he, he, he played well against Ingolstadt in, in, in midfield.
2: He will lead, the, he will lead Dortmund's
1: defense to new heights, huh? <laughs> Where well, he just, uh, scored a goal similar to the one, uh, that Puchol or Puyol scored against Germany in, I think, 2008 in the final.
0: 2010 semi-final. 2010 semi-final, yeah. The 2008 Taurus, final yeah. was the, where, where, where alarm was too slow and afterwards blamed the Lee. <laughs>
1: Classic alarm. Um, yeah. Any, anyway, Merino scored for the under 21 for the Spanish one. Really nice header after the corner. I think that's one of the biggest strong points. And if he plays more, uh, don't should probably score a lot more from set pieces. I don't know. Just a, just a hunch. Anyway, shall we move on or is there? Yeah, st- yeah.
2: We, 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 received a question, uh, via Twitter from, uh, at Lars Pollmann. He's asking, uh, is Mikkel Marino the best player to ever done the BV, uh, BVB Jersey? I think right now he's up there. Uh, I think the list, uh, shows you Summer, Rositsky, Marino.
0: Don't forget Sebastian Rode though.
2: Yeah. Uh, summer, Rositsky, Rode, Marino. Yeah. And and Schurler. Summer, Rositsky, Shirler Rodemarino. Marino.
0: Yeah, I'm fine right. with that. I think we <laughs> lost Stefan.
2: Really? Okay, then then we go on. We have uh our uh Twitter questions here. Uh, let's see. Oh, they're already answered. Already answered. Oh yeah, that's that, that's an interesting one. Football fanatic nineteen oh nine at uh, fofa nineteen oh nine. Uh what do you think of the steady media presence of A? Aki Watzke. I find his statement sometimes very
0: questionable and thoughtless. you your take? I actually do think, uh, Watzke could tone it down a bit. Um, I'm not always, uh, sure how much of the, of his presence in the German media really gets portrayed to our international audience. So, um, apart from whatever Dietfried Dembowski is translating for ESPN, of course, uh, but, but if you are listening to us from Germany, uh, you know that Watzke can't walk away from a microphone, uh, much like Mats Hummels for most of his Dortmund time, but Mats Hummels was actually enjoyable for most of uh, his interviews, and Watzke often isn't. Um, although I, I do genuinely believe he has the best interest of the club uh, in his heart all the time, he's... Often coming across a bit too aggressive for my liking, um, making unnecessarily, uh, snappy comments about competitors and, and situations and journalists. And I just generally, I would like for, uh, him not to be as present in the media and for him not to be the only guy people think of when, uh, talking about decision makers of Dortmund making public appearances. I think. The, the problem in this regard is this, is that, uh, Michael Zork, the sporting director, really doesn't like the spotlight. I think he's genuinely uncomfortable in front of the camera, apart from, you, you know, the normal match day interview, uh, at the side of the pitch. I think he can handle that just fine, but I, I, I don't really think, think he, he enjoys going on, uh, football talk shows or, I think he's never appeared, for example, on Sport Studio and, and Watzke is uh, twice a season a guest on, on there. So, and then obviously they don't have the, the, uh, the, the media p- professional Jürgen Klopp, uh, at the helm anymore who, who takes up most of the spotlight, but Thomas Tuchel, who actively avoids giving too many interviews. Uh, so I think it's all coming together for Watzke to have this big presence in the media and, it's not necessarily for the best, uh, for the most part, at least.
2: Yeah, I agree. I, I think he's, he's basically replacing Tuchel as the, as the face, uh, of Dortmund, but Watzke is what he is, uh, a regional entrepreneur, uh, turned football CEO. So yeah, he's not quite the meteor professional. Another question here. Uh, Booger the Cat asks, uh, where has <laughs> Tuchel buried, uh, Nuri Sahin's corpse?
1: I think in his backyard, <laughs> in the second team. But uh, yeah, one one uh, thing on Watska I actually do want to say is that I think uh, in the last year or so, he actually has improved. You know, in in the sense that you know his statements aren't as outrageous as they were before. I I think uh, just you know, just he he toned it down a little bit in the, in the way he talks. Although he's still a very frequent talker and yeah some people actually do get irritated by it a lot but uh yeah i think i think overall it has gotten better quote-unquote uh Konstantin, do you want to read out the next question or should i take over again
2: um let's see yeah i can read out the next one um number t whatever that means uh who's better creatively one-on-one Shinji Kagawa
1: or Osman Dembele? Stefan? Dembele. Uh, yeah, why? Because he is, uh, much better, uh, in his dribbling than, than, than Kagawa. And I think that is also a big creative skill of Dembele. Plus, Dembele also is playing a lot of cracking through balls. So all in all, I think when it comes to creativity, Dembele just has the edge over Kagawa.
0: Kagawa doesn't even, uh, seek out uh, one-on-ones. I mean, he actually tries to avoid them uh, because he knows he's not as much of a a dribbler as he is uh, 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 someone who has a great feel for time and space on the pitch. So, I mean, Kagawa in short area certainly is a very good player, but I don't see uh, him running at people, running by them with a turn of his hips or anything. So, I mean, to to put him up against uh, Dembele, who's... Doing just that uh, at a brilliant level for a nineteen-year-old is is uh, quite unfair to Kagawa, who whose whose strengths lie in other areas uh, of the game.
1: Yeah, I think though if we measure just pure creativity and not the uh, take ones, last who's your winner, Kagawa or Dembele?
0: Probably Kagawa, uh, but mostly because Dembele's decision-making still has to improve, but. I mean, if we take into account that he's only been a professional footballer for some like 18, 19 months, then Dembele is certainly uh, developing well in that area too. But Kagawa, or let's say Kagawa in form, uh, is probably one of the the best creative midfielders in Europe still. So that's not a fair contest uh, with Dembele. But the question was about one-on-ones and there he has him. In the back, easily.
1: All right. Constantine, what's your go-to lineup for the rest of the season in brackets? If everyone but Götze is healthy, you know, free for free. Um,
2: Berkey and then, uh, if everyone's healthy. I mean, that, that would be great, right? Uh, Socrates, uh, Toprak at Batra. Um, this season. then,
1: hm? This season, rest of the season, not Toprak.
2: Uh, sorry, not, not Toprak. Uh, sorry. What I want to say? Uh, Marino. Um, and yeah, then, then Schmelzer, Guerrero, Weigel, and, hm, that's difficult, right? Pulisic, I think. Um, and yeah, up front, just, Gets his injured, that's, or injured, he's ill. Um, that's difficult, right? Kagawa, Uwame Young, and Dembele. But it's just, it depends on who you play against. So, yeah.
0: Last? Uh, I, I'm, I'm, Currently wondering if you uh, left out Marco Reus on purpose, Constantine, uh, yeah. or you forgot about him, or just assumed that he's never healthy, so he doesn't that's, count. That's Italy. a problem,
2: actually. Um, that yeah, I know that the question included that if everyone but uh, gets is it, healthy, but it's just uh, I don't count Reus for several reasons. He's just he's injured. Almost all the time. Um, so, so if you, if you think about what could be the go-to lineup, I think you should, you should think about a lineup, uh, without Royce. And if he's like healthy and everything and at 100%, then you can include him and and that makes your lineup even
1: better. Hmm. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm not sure about this, um, because. Should we stick with the system Tuchel applied in the last couple of games, uh, which actually worked quite well, where uh, Gonzalo Castro and Julian Weigel uh, played more or less as a double pivot? I don't know. Do we stick Royce in there and Guerrero and has Schmelzer then a spot? And that's
2: the problem. That, that's why I decided to uh, give Guerrero the the spot next to Weigel? Uh, because you can't leave out, uh, Schmelzer. That's just, that's a crime, you know?
1: So yeah, well, I think a little bit about my lineup. I will just go to Lars and hope he has something written down.
0: <laughs> no, I, I'm, I don't have it uh, written down, but for the most part, I agree with uh, what Konstantin said. I think the, the back three, uh, is uh, set with Socrates, Bartra and Pischek. um, I don't know if I want uh, Merino to play over one of them, uh, or if I want Merino as the main Viigel backup in midfield. Actually, actually um, can I interrupt the, you? Uh, I think uh, w- I, I, you just yeah, uh, just
2: just I, I said uh, Toprak for whatever reason, and then I said Marino because I uh, panicked and didn't know uh, what I meant to say. Uh, actually, I meant Bender because like if everyone is fit, Bender, Socrates, and Batra, right? That should be like the lineup for the back three. Shouldn't
0: he? I think Pischek has done fine as a centre back, but of course we can add Bender in there. Uh, then for me, uh, the the Weigel thing has worked out pretty well, even though we all know that Castro is do some bad performances uh, in the next few weeks after having a good phase uh, against teams where you expect a lot of possession for Dortmund. I think the wing backs can be Guerrero and Pulisic, but. In the Champions League, I probably want Schmelzer on the left and uh, take the uh, take the bullet uh, with Dorm on the right, just because he's at least athletic uh, and can stretch a defense with vertical runs and doesn't make too many individual mistakes. And I'm not sure uh, I trust Pulisic to be as solid defensively uh, as he is when he's playing uh, in front of a normal right back. Um, and then the attacking trio. If Royce is available, great. If he isn't, that gets more tricky. I think uh, Kagawa, uh, Dembele, and Aubameyang works okay, but Royce is obviously a, a huge difference maker there.
1: Yeah, certainly. I mean, I I go in a very similar direction. I've got uh, Böcki as a goalkeeper down, and uh, my back three is similar to Constantine's. It's uh, Bartra, Socrates, and Banner. And then, uh, yeah, the fullback positions, I also have Schmelle and Durm, because, uh, as Lars just mentioned, he, uh, Durm is probably the, the guy with bringing the most stability in and, uh, you know, stability should always be your number one priority for, for a wing back. That's, that's, uh, at least my, my take. And, uh, I also side with Lars on the Weigel Castro double pivot just because it has worked well and, uh, Guerrero right now not in form and, uh, Question didn't say players that aren't in form, just healthy. Uh, so, I'm setting with that. And, uh, yeah, upfront, I also have Royce, Aubameyang and Dembele. I think that's a no-brainer. And, uh, yeah, Gerero and Pulisic then, uh, yeah, impact subs, I imagine. John Johnson asked, would like to hear a clear explanation of the 50 plus one rule. And is it doom post RB Leipzig? If it goes, how would that affect Dortmund? And uh I think there's nobody better on this panel to explain a rule. Lars, go ahead.
0: <laughs> I think we've talked about the 50 plus 1 rule a couple of times already, but uh I guess it comes with the territory of our rapidly uh growing fan base uh, that we have to explain it every now and yeah, then. Yes. So the the 50 plus 1 rule says that 50% of a club's shares plus one share have to remain with the club and the club obviously is owned by or that that those 50% of the shares plus the one share at least are owned by the club's members so that uh, makes sure that there are no uh, takeovers from uh, outside or from a corporation or you know a wealthy businessman from Qatar or China or Thailand or Singapore or um, whatever so it
2: might be a little bit confusing right when some uh, people are listening to the podcast and then they why why is the club owned by the club or something uh, it just basically means that uh, what you're seeing in the Bundesliga there are uh, I don't know if every club but most of the most of the teams are actually companies and they are owned by the clubs by their original clubs like Dortmund, uh, has like a company, like for their professional football. And then this was also, of course, named Borussia Dortmund. And then it's, uh, it's owned, uh, nah, and Dortmund's a little bit, uh, specific because of like the whole stock market thing. But, uh, our clubs are gen- gen- just owned by our companies who are playing the Bundesliga are owned by the clubs. 50 plus one. Sorry. Last. Continue.
0: Yeah. So, uh, as I said, the, the, the idea behind this is that the club remains in the hands of, uh, its members. And obviously, for the most part, that's, uh, it's not like members have much of a say in the, in the, in the dealings on, on a daily basis and only really are there to uh, elect the people who make the actual decisions, uh, or, or elect the people who then elect the people to make the decisions, um, but it it certainly helps to keep the the Bundesliga traditions alive, and uh, obviously teams like Leipzig, but also Hoffenheim, uh, to a lesser degree, Wolfsburg, and Leverkusen uh, are undermining this uh, operation, if you like, certainly to an extent. Uh, I think we've talked often about Leipzig only having like 17 members because it's, uh, it costs the smallest fortune to become a member of Leipzig, which is their way of undermining this rule even further. And, uh, I think the discussion about abolishing uh, the 50 plus one rule is uh, a few years old now. And I think, uh, mostly driven by Hannover president and soon-to-be-owner, uh, I guess, uh, Martin Kind, who thinks that uh, the 50-plus-1 rule makes German clubs financially uncompetitive uh, on the European football market. And I mean, he's of, he, he of a small club probably has a point for his club because Dortmund are able to compete with with the, the Giants uh, to some extent, of course. And a club like Hannover or most of the other clubs in German professional football are not but, uh, I don't think, uh, that all the clubs will suddenly, uh, invite foreign investments uh, into their fold when the 50 plus one rule is finally done and dusted. Uh, I think Dortmund for one would actually be able to benefit from its, uh, from its being abolished by, because Dortmund are a huge club uh, on the European market and they would have no problem attracting a lot of Foreign investments. Uh, I think if Dortmund were to open themselves up for for foreign investments, uh, they they would make a lot of money in, in a blink of an eye and and probably be more competitive than they are right now. But for tradition's sake and because Dortmund consider themselves to be a club of the people, they don't actually want to invite foreign investments into the into the club. So I don't think. Uh, Dortmund will have much problems with it the problems will be more for the the other traditional clubs who aren't doing uh, well at this point uh, in Germany because they are going to be left behind by uh, those clubs who do well uh, and that is the Leipzig the Hoffenheims of the world
1: Yeah the thing is that uh, you know a foreign investor when a foreign owner actually can also uh, you know un- destabilize a club you know it can go both ways so uh, we've seen it in the premier league there are a couple of of clubs of course that are pretty big now because of that like man city but there are also examples of clubs going completely bankrupt and uh, i don't i don't know what's going on at manchester united but uh, i think uh, there the investors are actually taking money out of the club Rather than putting money in, which is also a possibility. So, yeah, there are, the, of course, risks coming with the fall of the 50 plus one rule. If it falls, um, or when, when it falls, um, Konstantin, when do you actually think it goes down in Germany?
2: I, I don't know if it will go down eventually, um, uh, maybe in a few years, but, uh, if you look, clo- uh, just, just one thing, uh, uh, because like, uh, the question was, was also about, uh, explaining the 50 plus one rule that the, I think the English Wikipedia article on the 50 plus one rule is decent. So, uh, if you want to have, have it explained, uh, in a written form, then I think that's something you can look up. Um, and yeah, especially, and also, I, was, I think it was asked, like, is it doomed post? uh RB Leipzig. Um it, it really if the, f- the whole thing goes down or if it if it already down, I mean we can we can ask the question because uh just look at um 68 Munich like which is the the second biggest club in Munich uh second division team uh they are and I mean yes they aren't owned by uh a guy named Ismaik but when you look into it, when you look closely uh then you see that they are basically owned. By him, which is your Jordanian investor. Um, he the 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 CEO is 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 uh someone who has worked for him is maybe still under contract. Who knows? That's like there's there are uh uncertainties about them. Uh, the the association that the German league association is is looking into the case regularly. They have I think they got penalized a few times. Uh, of course uh, they yeah they violated rules uh problem is just that you can you can go through the back door here uh, a little bit and and also uh last mentioned kind in Hanover uh in the hist- in the history of of german football just in the last ten years you saw um figures like uh Roth, who was the you know the big don uh in nuremberg um he was basically owning the club it's just or uh, Kühne in, in, in Hamburg. So, uh, even if technically you're on, there is someone who isn't technically owning the club, but, uh, but developing so much influence into the operations of a club that he is basically owning it. Uh, and also, um, getting all his people who have worked for him, who are close to him or her, of course, uh, then working in, in key positions at a club. Uh, which of course happened at every, Leipzig. I mean, just look at who, who, who's their, uh, CEO right now and uh, look at his, um, his resume and where he, uh, worked before, uh, joining every Leipzig. Just look it up and, and you know how the whole thing works. Uh, that's just, it's, yeah, it's, it's, it's a business. And even if the, if the rule, um, exists or continues to exist uh then it's it's just you know more technicality and maybe it, it makes it harder for some people uh, because they have to find uh yeah certain uh, holes but at the end uh, they are already clubs owned uh by uh, investors uh patterns I think <laughs>
1: This is a good moment to end the show because we just lost Constantine.
2: No, I was, I was, talking. Then I stopped and then you said, uh, yeah, that's a good way to end the show.
1: Yeah. I, 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 th- I thought you were, you stopped, but I wasn't sure whether, uh, you did or didn't because the connection went AWOL for a second. Uh, nevertheless, I want to thank you again for coming on Constantine. Uh, if you want to take the chance and tell our Listeners where they can find you on the internet. That would be cool. Um, yeah, Twitter, uh, CC
2: underscore eckner, And yeah, check out, uh, com, And yeah, I think that's it, right? Also, of course, check out the yellow wall and everything. You know, you know, the deal.
1: Yeah. Everyone knows the deal. Lars, what's your deal? Uh, my deal. I don't know. I don't have a deal. That's,
0: uh, I think that's a friend's quote. Um, but people can find me on Twitter at, uh, Lars Pollman. And I also advise you to look at the yellowwall, uh, dot com, uh, yellowwallpot.com. Sorry. Because I actually publish stuff there, Konstantin. That's great. <laughs> Congratulations. You should try it too, Stefan. Uh, Stefan, yeah. Konstantin, you should try yeah, it. Yeah, but I
2: guess you got the deal,
0: right? Six figures. Yeah, but five of them after the, the period. <laughs>
1: I advise you to actually do visit yellowwallpod.com since that's where you can find our show and our written content by Lars. If you want to subscribe to the show on another way, you can do that on iTunes, Stitcher and SoundCloud. And, uh, yeah. If you want to contact us, you can do that via Twitter, the yellowwallpod.yellowwallpod contact form on our website or Facebook, which is also yellowwallpod. And we shall be back with a jam-packed episode next week where we have to preview the Revier derby and uh, the match against Hamburg. So until next week, goodbye. Yeah. All
2: right. Uh, next question. Pulisic goat. Uh, and he really ask, must wh-
1: hate Pulisic if he calls him a goat
2: that uh, uh what's your go-to lineup for the rest of the season
0: if go to lineup gets...
1: sorry Do we need to to re-record the entire <laughs> thing or i'm sorry that's what happens when i don't read out the questions uh, i see i see
2: now i know why you are the guy who reads the <laughs> I questions i the apologize I'm so okay, sorry. okay, uh you can you can take it from no, here. No, no, you, go you, ahead you and, do it, I'll shut but, up. But but
1: just just read the question and then just shut up. <laughs> Alright, Constantine, what's your go to lineup for the rest of the season in brackets if everyone but Gozer is healthy?
0: Goetze.